This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today is our May edition of Incentives and Instincts, a recurring series in which I speak with economist and friend Bryce Ward about some of the broader challenges facing our society. Bryce, how are you today? I'm good. The weather's warm. We're not like buried in snow as we were for six months. So it went I'll... straight from snow to summer degrees and high runoff. So it's here like, we are. It's straight up summer. Yeah, boom. Uh, boom. So last month, you and I explored why America appears to be so deadly why we're comparatively bad at getting our citizens to age 40 and our declining mortality rates in general. We outlined the contributing forces to this decline, including guns, drugs, healthcare availability, cars, diet, and a few others. These all roll up into a concept we're calling deaths of abundance. Bryce, is that a term you came up with or, or how, and how are we defining deaths of abundance? Yeah. I mean, I came up with it when we were thinking about the last episode, yeah. uh, you know, technically I came up with deaths of abundance and freedom. Yeah. We got to trademark right? that thing. You know, and yeah, I mean, the idea is, is that like, these are all problems of availability. Something that can do harm is available to me and I have the freedom to use it. We're not saying that these are bad things that in, are in oversupply or overabundance, but they are things that if consumed out of balance, can cause harm. The evidence is clear, right? So if guns are available, you end up with gun deaths, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the more you drive, the more you're going to suffer from traffic fatalities. Yeah. The more alcohol and drugs are available, the more you're going to deal with alcohol and drug-related uh, problems. The more unhealthy food is available, the more you're going to deal with the health problems associated with it, right? So all of this stuff, you know, and it's, it's pretty easy to go, well, look, We've died from things for a long time, yeah. right? But this particular mix of deaths and this particular gap in deaths, what is it that stands out about the U.S. relative to other countries? Yeah. It's that we have more abundance, we're richer, mm -hmm. and we have more freedom. Not just always more freedom. That's a that's a, can be a vague thing. And yeah, we have to of define things, freedom. There's lots of things that we have they, that you can do in other places that you can't do here. Mm -hmm. But with respect to all of these things, sure, you can buy guns here. You know, not just having the guns, but using the guns, like stand your ground laws. Yeah, and, carrying you know, them Carrying public, them in public, all, all those kinds of things, right? Drugs are regulated, but particularly with the opioid crisis, you know, until relatively recently, like you could get drugs, you know, and then alcohol is available, somewhat regulated, but mm -hmm. it's available. Um, you know, cars, obviously... If it's if they can dream it up, you can probably drive and it. And not in the only States. are available, they're sort of, or we have a system where it's sort of required that you have a car to get around, to get to work, all those sorts of things. An American supermarket is a thing of wonder mm -hmm. for most people in the world. It's a thing of wonder, you know. So you know, we have abundance, right? And with that abundance and the freedom to consume or access, you know, all of these things in. Again, such as they're completely deregulated. Yeah. But if you're saying, well, why do we have deaths? at a disproportionate rate from these particular things, it's pretty easy to see. Well, yeah, like a lot of these things are strongly correlated with GDP per capita. Sure. Um, we have the highest of amongst these countries. So yeah, we it's available. And then, you know, not just is it available given our level of income, but the potential to abuse it uh, or to use it in ways which are self-destructive, I think the outcomes tell us that, you know, we're different there too. 
yeah, it's not so good. So how are these two things related or are they related? We are particularly good at creating abundance and we have done so in the aggregate across our society. And we have a unique conception of freedom. In your view, does our unique conception of freedom drive our ability to create this abundance? I think there's an argument for that. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that it's perfect, sure. uh, you know, or that there's a perfect correlation there. But, you know, I mean, I do think that there is some some truth to the notion that freedom to pursue and explore is part of what has made the American economy more prosperous than sure. other places, right? There's more dynamism. There's more, you know, we also just have more resources, but like, so that's another part of it. But mm-hmm. uh, the freedom to use those resources, to explore how to use those resources and the and the reverence towards those who do. I don't think you can separate it entirely. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I think you have to say that part of part of the abundance here is because of the freedom here. Exactly what the proportion is and all that kind of stuff. That's more challenging, but certainly some comp- some contribution. Sure. So let's kind of try to understand this balance or lack of balance that we have in our system. And, you know, as we were preparing for this episode, you posed the the framework of hearkening back to an ancient concept, and that is Plato's chariot. Describe Plato's chariot and what that's all about. I'm going to simplify it and tweak it a little bit for our purposes. The The basic concept of Plato's chariot is the, you know, the, the notion of the soul. Mm-hmm. There's three components, right? And, you know, so you have a charioteer, right? And that's like wisdom and rationality and all these kinds of things. And the driver. The driver, right? In Plato's mind, the thing that you want to be driving it, um, okay. the ancient Greek mind. Um, and then there was a dark horse. Uh, and the dark horse is, you know, appetite, hedonism, pleasure, right? It's like seeking food and wealth and drink and all that Base kind of stuff. instincts. Base instincts, appetite, you know, dopamine to some degree, maybe. And then there's a white horse. And the white horse, you know, is, in the good version, it's like honor, and but it's also like glory and attention. And again, ultimately, you need all three of these things to achieve whatever the Greeks were saying you're trying to achieve, right? Sure. Because you need the horses to pull the chariot. Yep. But, you know, if you're not a good enough driver... You know, you, the appetites will crash you, like they're going to cause you harm, right? And, and again, both horses, it's easy to think of the dark horse as the bad horse, and that's usually how it's right, thought of. Right, But even then, you know, seeking glory or, you know, taking, oh, yeah, those have you know, having your limits. honor, like, challenged, at least the violence and all sorts of, you know, bad things as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, the point is, is that, you know, the, the idea is, you know, and look, I'm just using this one because I've always liked the chariot horse allegory sure you know so you know essentially the the fundamental challenge is that as as humans i think we have to recognize that we have flaws right Right. we have flaws and if left to our own devices those flaws can get the better of us they can become Mm -hmm. self-destructive self-destructive okay and you know and they can become destructive for others right you know they can become just become destructive for us but they can be destructive for others and for our families for our societies for our communities the challenge you know i think that we're seeing with the deaths of abundance and freedom is when we create abundance and we create freedom, those horses get stronger, right? It's a lot easier to satisfy my appetites, right? And in some sense, that's good, right? Because, you know, in a world of material scarcity, I mean, just think about food, right? Like, yeah, it's hard to achieve my, it's hard to become my best self if I don't have food, 
But what we have to kind of, I think what we have to realize at this point in human, in, in human existence is that as we create this abundance, you're now creating a, the alternative problem at the other end. Yeah. There's somebody for whom most people don't struggle with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Most people, well, I think most people now struggle with food to some degree, but like, you know, alcoholism, it's, you know, like five, six percent of men, two percent of women, something like that. Like, which still is a lot. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Right. But that's the challenge, right? Is that we're, you know, we create it, we allow this thing, we create it. And then there's some small group of people for whom it's now an appetite that has to be managed. Right. And, you know, that's on the dark horse side, on the light horse side. The, the internet created a lot of ability to achieve attention. Mm-hmm. You know, we created a whole abundance on that side, which is not necessarily good and productive and all sorts of stuff. So sure. there's, we've created abundance, which is challenging all of our horses, right? But it's not clear that we've strengthened our riders. Yeah. And we've, we've avoided things that constrain our ability to create abundance, but also we've avoided things that strengthen the rider. So, you know, Things like regulation, things like uh, basically government structures that exist in a lot of European peer nations do not exist here. Some of that drives our ability to create this abundance. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we're reluctant to impose sort of state structures on the individual freedoms. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just like state structure and, you know, so we can think of regulation in two, you know, one, you can try and regulate the person, but most of the time what we try and do is just ride and regulate the horses, right? So yeah. like, let's make it so that you can't access that appetite, right? Let's make it so that it's harder for that horse to get a little bit off of, you know, there's logic and there's rules yeah. and the rules need to be below the logic, mm-hmm. right? You know, because if it's just, well, that's the rule and we must follow it. Well, that doesn't always lead to the best outcome sure. either, yeah. right? You know, again, there's this balance, right? You know, and that's the challenge that we have as a society is that there's... 8 billion humans, there's 350 million Americans, and the horses that we have are different. Mm -hmm. Our riders, you know, we come out genetically with different traits. And so we're trying to balance this notion of, well, what do we regulate in terms of what do you have access to, right? What can, how strong are your horses going to get? What what are you going to have to try and deal with? But at the same time, we have to try and figure out, well, how are we creating our riders, and historically, there was the balance to the market because essentially a market economy, right? What capitalism does really, really well is it says, well, what do your horses want? Right? Yeah. What do you want? And this is the challenge that we're fundamentally getting back to, right? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, my horses want things. And in the simple conception of economics and market frameworks is, well, the rider understands that your horses want things. But it it regulates them so that want and need are the same. And effectively, what I feel like, you know, the ancient wisdom that we're having to reestablish here is, well, what if they're not always yoked by the rider, right? What if want and need are allowed to separate? And well, how do we then try and balance, you know, so A, so how do we get it so that you want and need are back aligned? And how do we make sure that you A, understand that and B, have the capacity to act on it. And historically, that was the role of religion, right? right that was the right. great counterbalance to, because, you know, essentially you can't just have market. Think of what, that's what we've learned in the last 40 years. If we just have market. Yeah, it breaks down. There's a lot of pathologies in the pursuit of market. You know, it's essentially letting the horses run amok. You know, so you, you've always had to have 
this notion of somebody saying, well, those are the deadly sins. You shouldn't do that, right? You know, or you have to have some notion of, you know, the Greek ideal or the Buddhist ideal or whatever it is. There was always something trying to say, hey, guys, as humans, we're going to want to go off in that direction. Right. But we need to have something on the, t- on the other end of the rope that's kind of tugging us. You know, and again, it's not clear that we were ever successful at creating good humans, right? And that may be where we have to get to, which is that we have to accept that we can't create good riders and we just have to regulate the horses. But if we want to try and keep pursuing abundance and freedom, at a minimum, we owe it to ourselves to say, well, what are we doing to make sure that we're creating riders for this environment, ones who have the ability to recognize their weaknesses and act in their own self-interest to avoid the destructive tendencies uh, that may be available to them. And that's that's hard. Yeah, it's what are we creating abundance of? How does this create new challenges? What is it, Who's going to struggle with it? How does it create, change our ability to, as, a, as individuals and as a collective, to be our best selves, right? You know, that seems like that's kind of the underlying goal of all of this. Yeah. And... You know, I think it's easy to lose sight of that. Uh, I think we have lost sight of it. You know, most of our policy discussions have moved below that into things that we think are necessary conditions for achieving it. Okay, let's draw that out. Give me an example here. Well, the idea is like, look, if I if I if I create abundance, if I create material abundance, well, that should then create the conditions under which you're no longer scratching out an existence, right? Sure. You know, now you should have, like, well, you have food. Your needs you, are you met. You can provide for your needs. You know, and therefore we can, you know, kind of move up the hierarchy of needs or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I think that makes a lot of sense, right? So that's what we focus policy on, right? Like, well, what are they taking from you in taxes? And how are we regulating your freedom to do whatever it is you want or all that yeah. kind of stuff? And so we fight here, down here in the lower level. And, you know, up here above it, you know, we're not making the connection of, Wait, so we solved this. Did we get more of the thing that we wanted? And what did we give up to get here? That's where I think we've been blinded, right? Is, you know, it's really easy to see, look, look at how much choice there is in the grocery store. Yeah. And then it takes 50 years of increasing obesity and increasing, you know, to the point where now I think it's two thirds of the population is obese or overweight. Look how um, many children we've moved out of poverty because of X, Y, or Z yeah. policy. These these sort of aggregate statistics, and you play in this space all the time as an economist. They they can obscure a lot of a lot of the truth of it, some of these realities. And you know, and it, it could be that all look, this is the better outcome. True. Right? Yeah, it could be that this is the better outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. The alternative is worse. Right. But I think we where I see we think we've been blinded a lot of times is that. I think we think of them as unambiguously good. Sure. Without considering... Meaning abundance being, in general, being unambiguously a good thing. You know, so, you know, more choice is supposed to be unambiguously good. Right. And I'm coming at this from, yeah, I want to preserve abundance and freedom, but I'm increasingly troubled by the fact that, you know, yeah, as humans, we are flawed. And as we create this abundance, we enable this self-destruction. And a blind pursuit of abundance, I think, creates even additional harms because it undermines the riders. If you live in a world where 
what is revered, what gets attention and what gets material success. So the thing that our two horses want more than anything else, Mm -hmm. right, is, well, I was successful. I didn't care how you got there, right? And I can look at a lot of the people, a lot of the business magnets or whatever it is, you know. And, you know, the example that I think I've even talked on here about, but, you know, I got from Michael Lewis's podcast a few years ago was, you know, it's a lower level version of it, right? But he was talking about student loan processors. Sure. Right? And went and he talked with somebody who had recently left a student loan processor. And, you know, the, the the problem here was, you know, why did so many people who were eligible for student loan forgiveness because of these, you know, like nobody ever succeeded, right? And it was because the loan processor had no incentive to get you to succeed. In fact, they had an incentive to get you to fail. Oh. And so... The people that are on the phone with you, their computer screen starts flashing colors depending on how long you've been talking to the person. Right. So right. they get evaluated on time to resolution. Yeah. Time, you know, and it takes time to get somebody through that process. Right. And so she talked, you know, the person talked about who got promoted. The people who got promoted within the loan servicer were the people who were the best at basically sociopathically hanging up on people. Yeah. Right. Not helping them. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, okay, that's your next slide. And those, who, who then gets promoted from there? We essentially allowed in a lot of organizations and a lot of industries, the entire hierarchy to be selected on amorality, willingness to break rules, willingness to be unethical. We'll be back to my conversation with Bryce Ward after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. This is Mike Morelli, Executive Director at MCT, and you are listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm here with Bryce Ward discussing the deadly downside of abundance. And that's not necessarily a nefarious design, Right. The, the, what you're describing is more a manifestation of blind spots. You design something to achieve maximum efficiency with a short-sighted view of what efficiency is and what trade-offs individuals will make to get there. It's what's rewarded, right? Yes. You know, the systems respond to incentives, mm-hmm. right? And it's very easy for systems, you know, well, well, you know, in a market economy, what at the highest levels, what gets rewarded? higher stock price. Yeah. So that leads to short-termism. It leads to all sorts of, you know, desires to take shortcuts. Sure. Right? You just got to manage to the next quarter or two. And that's what I mean by there's no tug of war. You know, when you're just pursuing abundance, okay, well, how do I get more for me? How do I get more for my family? Well, frequently it's cheat, lie, steal. Yeah. Most people don't do that to their credit. Some do. But enough of them do. And it's very easy. In fact, there are papers out there that talk about this, right? How industries can get captured because of the incentive structures that underlie them, Mm -hmm. right? Because, well, what I care about is this particular metric, you know, and well, how do I achieve that metric? I mean, if you've ever watched the show Billions. Oh, yeah. How does Axe Capital succeed? The whole story is, is that he cheats. Yeah. Right? And he makes sure that he's got a whole team of cheaters so that they can always generate the return that the lay investor like me is like, well, that's great, right? Great. I give my money to that guy and I get, you know. He's in business. He's not in jail. So it seems like it's I get 8% return. Whereas if I gave it to those guys, I'd only get 6%. Like, you know, well, that's great for me. 
but you know, but that's the, essentially this is the problem, right? Yeah. Is we have an issue of look, abundance is good, freedom is good, but that empowers a lot of things that are both individually self-destructive and collectively self-destructive. Yeah, and it is incumbent on us as individuals and our communities and our society to recognize that these are part of the problem. They come along with this pursuit of abundance mm -hmm. and to implement structures that either regulate our horses, right? Or in an ideal world, regulate our riders, give them more power, allow them more strength, you know, teach them how to do it so that the bad parts of the good gets smaller. Yeah, and so in our remaining moments here, let's let's set the horses aside for a moment because we're just living in a time when regulation appears to be very difficult. Unless you're talking about TikTok, seems like that's an area where both parties agree like, "Hey, we should regulate that thing." But in terms of creating better riders, there's been a lot of decline in the mechanisms historically that have have outside of government that have created better riders, civic organizations, schools, I guess, are, are part of government, but they're doing that civics piece less good. Yeah, no, moment. we got data on that just today, right? Yeah. The NAEP scores are down. Like, well, and they've been NAEPs, down. Na National uh, Assessment of Educational Prize, something like that. Okay. Right? But, you know, we have heavily emphasized reading and math. Mm -hmm. And we've designed the tests right? to test for those and, things. And, you know, so we spend a lot more of our educational resources and, you know, with the exception of COVID, we've actually managed to at least stabilize and maybe even improve those. Yeah. But there's opportunity cost. And the opportunity cost is that, you know, even before COVID, civics education was declining. Uh, history education is declining. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our current culture wars is, you know, people are even saying it's bad to be teaching this stuff. And it's bad to be teaching social and emotional stuff right? I.e. how to regulate your emotions, which is actually one of the main things you get out of school. A lot of which um, comes from the humanities as you know, well. And we've declined we in that. Yeah, exactly. How exactly we does it, we don't know. Sure. But we know that schools can do it, right? Because we can measure outcomes that are clearly correlated with emotional self-regulation. Mm -hmm. The schools that are good at producing reading and math, there's no correlation with their ability to create social and emotional skills, i.e. self-regulation skills. Yeah. So there's opportunity costs in education. And, you know, maybe this is one of the advantages of AI, you know, is that we don't have to teach as much of the math and the reading because the AI is going to do it for us. You know, maybe that's not their best outcome, but to the extent that it lowers the opportunity cost of trying to invest in figuring out, well, how do I create better humans, ones that are better able to manage their horses, um, and therefore stay on track, achieve more for themselves and achieve more for us as a society. That's what it's going to take. We have tools. We know how to regulate people to be better at regulating their emotions, but we don't have an infrastructure for investing it. If you have a problem with addiction, you can eventually find your way into some form of a treatment program. Mm -hmm. Those treatment programs are only moderately effective, but they can work. So there is at least a subset of people for whom they can work. It is worth noting that they are enormously expensive. Yes. Not in terms of dollar cost, but in terms of bandwidth cost, hmm. right? In terms of 
yeah, I've got to work a program. You need to put your entire life on hold. Immersive rehab is what well, you're that's, No, not just, but even maintenance, right? Like, okay. you know, yeah, if yeah. I'm in an AA, I've got my regular meeting. I've got maybe journaling. I've got, you know, I've got, you know, mentor, you know, and, and it by itself, it actually seems like it's a good thing in terms of a community and building all the kind of social capital sure. stuff we talk about. But, you know, just in terms of if that's what it takes to regulate people in the face of appetite, if it's that hard, you know, or just, you know, think about it with weight loss, almost no diet, every diet works, but no diet works because people can't maintain them. And, you know, because it requires an enormous amount of effort to fight against the environment in which we live, which is abundance, Mm -hmm. right? And so if we're not going to regulate it at the point of, at the source, you can't have food in your house, right? Like, you know, the grocery stores will only offer like 10 items. Choice is what gets me, right? Yeah. It's the variety. It's like, man, I haven't had that. Well, I just ate, but boy, that other thing looks really good. Sure, that's why I want right? the dessert. You know, part of the challenge is that each of us are going to struggle in different ways. It's not like we all struggle. It's not like you can just say, we know this is the unit on how to deal with food, right? Because, you know, some people deal with food issues and other people don't. You know, and, you know, we just have to, but, you know, if we kind of can create a generalized structure of these are where you can go wrong, right? You know, and like these are ancient ideas, right? Yeah. I mean, it's literally what the whole point of the Plato's chariot and Aristotle's golden means and, mm-hmm. you know, the Tao Te Ching and the Bible and all of it, right? They're, you know, they're very much fundamentally about as a human, you're going to screw up. And we got to figure out how to try and regulate you so that you can, A, not beat yourself up too much when you screw up, but also, B, how do you just not screw up in the first place? And so what you're describing there is sort of the, 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 the function of a society. And if you look at the conceit of these two episodes that we've done over the last two months, our society in the United States has gotten worse at keeping its citizens alive. And we could have a bunch of debate as to what the purpose of a society is, but keeping its citizens alive seems to be at least a reasonable candidate for the number one purpose of a society. And folks, we're encouraging you to just ask yourself that question. If we're not keeping our citizens alive as well as other countries are, is that a problem that we should address? And, And I think Bryce and I are in agreement that we should. We don't necessarily know the way to do that. There's certainly plenty of candidates, but um, yeah, think about that one. It's sort of a sobering thing to contemplate. We're really good at creating abundance, but the cost of that is um, is killing us, quite literally. Quite literally. All right. So on that note, Bryce, on to uh, more time in the sun. Have a good month, and we'll uh, see you down the road. See you in June. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott, 
Social media by AJ Williams and Jeff Neese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot and see you next time.